At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Now, as we gather today to worship and as we open God's Word, we're going to be continuing a series that we began a number of weeks ago called Relating to. This series looks at Matthew's chapters 18 through 20, and inside of those chapters, we see Jesus providing some instruction to his disciples about how they can follow him relating to a number of significant things in their lives, things like how do they relate to their children as they follow Christ, how do they relate to temptation, to the lost, to those who have have lost their way, to those who have wronged us, to our spouse, and even to eternal life. Over the last six Sundays, we've been looking at this section of God's Word together, and today we're going to continue that series in the seventh installment by looking at how do we relate to blessing as we follow Christ. Specifically, how do we relate to the grace of God? We're going to see that from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. But as we prepare to look at those verses, I want to just have you think back to your first job. J-O-B, the very first job that you had. Do you remember what it was? For me, it was working at the Shave Ice Hut on Madison Boulevard in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Um, I put in some quality time in that job and was rewarded for it with a wage. For every hour that I worked there, I was paid $3.50. Now, I want you to to think just for a moment, what was the wage that you received with that first job? Maybe it was not by the hour, maybe it was by the job. You had a a business mowing lawns and you were paid 20 bucks every time you mowed the neighbor's yard or whatever it might have been. But I want you to think back to when you begin to learn the association between work and wage. It's a powerful lesson that you learned, right? It's somewhat what fuels our society and our economy. It's even an idea that has its roots inside of the Bible. When Paul writes to his friends in Thessalonica, he he says to them, hey, if you do not work, you shall not eat. He, He wanted them to remember that connection between work and wage. But here's the thing. Not everything in our lives is a work wage scenario, is it? I mean, there are other things in our life that are gifts, that are grace gifts that are given to us. I think about it in my own life, one of the examples of that would be Christmas growing up. Christmas was not a work wage scenario, regardless of what the elf on the shelf might have said. Christmas was a scenario where I was just given a blessing, and I I learned the difference between work wage and a gift. Birthdays are are similar. Think about just the blessing that we have, all of us being residents of the United States of America. We just were born here, or we, we found ourselves here at some point in our life, and because of our association with this place, we reap an incredible blessing, not from a work wage scenario, but just as a gift of grace. Not only is it true in, in those areas, but it's true in, in many other things. I think about just the, the, the gifts that have been given to me just by being the son of Dick and Beverly Robinson. 
not a work wage scenario. I didn't perform in utero and God rewarded me with parents. It was just a gift that was given to me. And I've reaped the, the blessing of that my entire life. We think about the gifts that are given to us. So we, we understand the work wage scenario, but also the gift scenario. And here's the question that I have for us today. When we think of salvation, when we think of God granting us eternal life, is that a work wage scenario? In other words, we have done certain things and have performed for God in such a way that he has given us the wage of eternal life. Or is salvation a a gift given to us by the grace of God? It's a very important question for us to wrestle with. One of the most foundational questions in all of Scripture and a question that, that Jesus answers emphatically for us in Matthew chapter 20, when he lets us know that salvation is not a work wage scenario. Salvation is a gift of God's grace. And so this morning, I want us to look at Jesus' teaching on this from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. In these verses, Jesus tells a story. We call them parables. A story that he tells in order to illustrate the point that salvation is by grace and not work wage. I want to read these verses for us and then we'll back up and seek to understand them better all before we celebrate the Lord's Supper together today. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, Jesus is speaking and he says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again at about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. In about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received the denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have been born the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Now, friends, this story that Jesus tells that highlights the grace of God as it connects to salvation, I want us to look at more in depth. 
We're going to do this in two movements. First of all, we're going to look at what this story was talking about, and then we're going to find some significance and applications for our life. And so we're going to begin by talking about this parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Now, it's important for us to see the context of this story. It didn't just come out of no place. It came in the middle of a conversation. If you remember last week in Matthew 19, we saw that Jesus had a conversation with a rich young ruler, a rich young leader of a synagogue who came to him and wanted to know what he needed to do to possess or to have eternal life. And after a number of questions that Jesus asked him to lead him down the path so that he would understand his need for a Savior, the man walked away sad because he was unwilling to do as Jesus had requested, to leave what he owned, to give that to the poor, and to leave and to follow Christ. Well, the disciples, as they, they watched this rich young ruler walk away sad, they They asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, if that guy can't be saved, the leader of the synagogue, if if he can't be saved with his moral reputation and with his biblical knowledge, if he can't be saved, then who can be saved? And Jesus made that really important statement, that really important point where, where he said, hey, what is impossible with man is possible with God. In other words, We cannot save ourselves, but God can save us. Well, after hearing this conversation transpire, Peter looks at the situation, kind of surveys it, and goes, wait a minute, this guy would not leave all to follow Jesus, and so he ends up with nothing, but what about us, Jesus? I mean, we left our nets in the water up on the Sea of Galilee. We left our businesses. My family's back in Capernaum. I'm following you, Jesus. We who have left all to follow you, what's in it for us? And Jesus answered Peter. And he said, Peter, as you have followed me, I will reward you a hundredfold for everything you have left behind. But then Jesus ended that with a very cryptic statement. You remember last week, verse 30, the verse right before chapter 20 and verse 1? Jesus ended that saying, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, if you were with us last Sunday, you notice I conspicuously left that verse out of our discussion of the conversation with the rich young ruler but it serves as an appropriate connection with what Jesus tells us in the parable of the laborer in the vineyard, though. You know how I know it's connected? Look down to chapter 20 and verse 16. What does that verse say? So the last will be first and the first last. Friends, in the Greek language when this was written, those serve like a parenthesis. They let us know that everything that transpires between chapter 19, verse 30, and chapter 20, verse 16 is intimately connected back to the conversation with Peter about what was due him. Jesus tells the story of the labor of the vineyard to Peter as as if to say to him, hey, hey, Peter, you want to know what's in it for you? I promise you I will reward you. But guess what? There are others who have not been with me since day one who will also reap the blessing that I will give you. You got to be okay with that, Peter, because those who have joined last will receive the same blessing as those who joined first. 
Now, he tells this parable, this sermon illustration to help drive that point home more clearly. And he tells this story, as Jesus' parables often are told, that they take something in the first century world that everybody understood, and they, Jesus uses it to illustrate something that maybe they didn't know, something they, they knew like laborers working in a field, and he used those laborers working in a field as an illustration so that they would know something about the kingdom of heaven. So he takes this story of a laborer working in a vineyard, and this is not a a true story, but it was true to life. The, the, The elements of the story didn't actually transpire, but Jesus told it to illustrate this point, and they understood it because they had seen this situation take place where a, a landowner who who owned some land owned a vineyard at harvest time. The grapes are coming out on the vine, and they need to be harvested. So the, the landowner who owns this vineyard would, would go out to the area of town where the day laborers would gather, and he would invite many of them to come and to work in his vineyard. So Jesus tells the story about the landowner who, who owned this vineyard going out to this place about 6 o'clock in the morning, the first hour, as sun rose. And at 6 o'clock, the landowner comes out and he says, who would like to work today? And some hands go up, and the landowner says, come with me. I will pay you a denarius to work in my field. And so they come. Now, a denarius was a, a very generous wage. These are people without a job, and they are being offered a very fair wage, a very generous wage, one day's wage, way more than three fifty an hour. They get offered to come and to work inside of his field. Well, after they begin working, the the owner of the vineyard doesn't sit on a chair and watch them work. He goes back to the marketplace. And it says about the third hour, about 9 a.m., he says, okay, who here is still with us and wants to work? And a few more hands come up, and he says, do you all come with me? And trust me that I will pay you a fair wage at the end of the day. And those at 9 a.m. go and begin to work. But he doesn't stay and watch the 6 a.m. and the 9 a.m. workers. He goes back, and at noon, he does the same thing. Who wants to work? And more hands come up, and he invites them to come, and they go back with him, and they begin to work in the field. And he does the same thing at 3 o'clock. He goes back, and he invites more to come, and they go, and they work in the field. And then at 5 o'clock, just one hour from quitting time, he goes back to the marketplace he says, who is still here that wants to work? And he invites them to come, and they come with him, and they begin to work in the field. Now, now just think about this. People have been working since 6 a.m. The boss man shows up with another crew at 5. By the time they completed their OSHA paperwork, maybe 20 good minutes in the field. But at the end of 6 o'clock, the the whistle blows and work is done and they all gather and the owner of the vineyard instructs the foreman, I want you to pay them beginning with those who started last. Start with the 5 p.m. crowd and pay them first so that everybody could see. 5 p.m. crowd, it's a denarius. Now, what's 6 a.m. thinking? Think about it. What are they thinking? They're thinking, this is awesome. One hour, one denarius, 12 hours, 12 
denarii. They're picking up the phone. They're calling back home, and they're saying, we're going out tonight. We're eating at Legends. Make reservations. We're going to go there, right? They move down. 3 p.m. crowd of Denarius. Not quite as generous as I thought, but still four Denarius maybe we'll get. Or six, I don't know, but certainly more than that guy got. Change the reservations. Legends to Chili's. We're still eating out, but it's not quite as nice. Then he moves down. Those at noon. Those at at 9 a.m. What's 6 a.m. thinking? Wait a second. Maybe just McDonald's. I don't understand what's happening. Well, finally, 6 a.m. gets their denarius. Now, what's 6 a.m. thinking? This is unfair. We who have worked throughout the heat of the day, uphill both ways in the snow, we who have dealt with all of these hardships from 6 o'clock in the morning have been given the exact same amount as this person who worked 20 minutes after filling out their paperwork. That's just not fair. What does the owner of the land say? He says, hey, hang on. It's interesting that as Jesus tells this story, he calls him friend. You know, interestingly, in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus says friend, it's a gentle rebuke. Every time that word comes up in this kind of a context, it's always followed by a gentle rebuke. And the the, the owner of the land says, friend, we had a deal, right? Was I not generous to you to invite you from an unemployed life to an employed life? Have I not given you exactly what I promised? What business is it of yours if I choose to be generous to the person that started at 5 p.m.? If I have the resources and I have the desire to pay them what I'm paying you, that is none of your business. I've done what I promised to you and I've been generous to them. I can do both things. And so Jesus tells this story. And remember the context to let Peter know, hey, Peter, get ready. Because though you followed me from day one, there's a thief on the cross who will reap the same reward of salvation that I'm going to give to you. But it's not a raw deal I'm giving you. It is still a gift of my grace. Now, what was Jesus trying to communicate? What was he trying to tell us about the kingdom of heaven? I want us to see five things together with the rest of our time that Jesus was communicating about the kingdom of heaven and the grace of God. The first thing I want us to see is this. God pays on a scale of grace and not on a rate of merit. God pays on a scale of grace and not on a rate of merit. The landowner was generous to invite anyone to work in his field. He did not have to do that. 
He was generous to give the day's wage to the person who began at six. He was generous to give the day's wage to the person that began at five. It was the generosity of the landowner that was on full display throughout this story. And in the same way, when we think of our salvation, friends, it is all a gift that God has given to us. We saw that transpire in Jesus' interaction with the rich young man last week and his follow-up with the disciples. It's impossible for us on a rate of merit to earn salvation. We cannot live the life that is required in order to earn the wage of salvation. If we are to get salvation, it will be on the gift scale. And thanks be to God, that is how salvation works. God has has given it to us as a gift, but that's not how we think about it. We often think that it's about our performance in some way. Of this, John MacArthur says of this passage, he says, no person comes to Christ with more or less merit, and no one is received by him with more or less grace. Just leave that up there for a second and, and look at that and think about it. That is not how we intuitively think, is it? We think that people come to Christ with more or less merit. Now, we might not be so conceited to think that we come to Christ with more merit, but we often think that someone comes to Christ with more merit. There's some saint from the past, some godly person in our neighborhood, somebody in our small group, they have come to Christ with merit. I might be saved by grace, but they have come with merit. That is how we sometimes think, but that is totally wrong. In order for any of us to be saved, it took the same gracious gift from God, Jesus Christ's death on the cross to be the payment for our sins. Regardless of our story, that is what was required in order for us to be saved. It took no less grace to save the axe murderer as it took to save the person that just can't tell the truth all the time. We think about this in in an illustration. I've used this before, but if we were to take two plate glass windows and place one over here and one over here, and I were to take a, a cannon and fire it through this plate glass window, it would blow every shard of glass out of that window. And then if I were to take a BB gun and shoot it at this plate glass window, I could riddle it with, with cracks and break it in spots. Now, if we were to replace either of those windows, it would still require a full plane of plate of new glass. And that's the way it is with salvation. Whether our sins are cannonball sins or whether our sins are BB gun sins, they all break the glass. They all fall short of God's glory. They all require his gracious gift. Praise God. He pays on the scale of grace and not on the rate of merit. He sent Jesus to die for us. Second thing that we see is God pursues us. I love, I love, I love this story because the landowner in this story, what is he doing? He keeps going out. He's not sitting back in the vineyard. He's not sipping an iced tea. He keeps going back to the marketplace. And why does he keep going back to the marketplace? To bring in more workers. Now, is that for his benefit? No, it's for the benefit of the workers 
He wants to know why they're still standing idly by. He's inviting them into purpose. He's inviting them into mission. He's inviting them into life. That's what the landowner is doing. And and the landowner is a, a picture here of God who is pursuing people. He's pursuing you and he is pursuing me. I just, I love this, this picture of God, and it reminds me even of my own story, a God who pursued me with parents that, that brought me to church, raised me inside of East Cross United Methodist Church in Bartlesville. What a gift. The Sunday school teachers that, that poured out to me, the vacation Bible school leaders that gathered and had me memorize verses so that I could earn coupons to buy Baskin-Robbins ice cream cones that, that poured into me in those, those days, the youth leaders that invested in me, the, the youth pastor that pursued me on the golf course and the tennis court and the basketball court, sharing the gospel with me along the way. My sister who came back from a summer project sharing the gospel with me. What are all of those things? All of those things were the face of God's pursuit of me. And if you are here today and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not because you figured it out. It's because Our God pursued you, and day after day, hour after hour, going to the marketplace and invited us in. And if you're here today and you feel your heart being stirred by the grace of God, it is not me. It is God who is inviting you to come into his vineyard. God pays on a scale of grace. He pursues us. Third thing I want us to see, God provides for us generously and as promised. One of the challenges that we have when we look at this story is if we look at it as a, as a business model, it doesn't make sense. If you own your own business and you paid everybody the same wage regardless of when they started, you would quickly run out of money. You think about it, if you had an entire year and you were going to pay everybody at the end of the year the same amount regardless of when they started and somebody started on December 31st, you would quickly go broke. Because we live in a world of finite resources, but we know an infinite God. He is able to bless the person at 6 a.m. with salvation as well as the person at 5 p.m. with salvation and everyone in between without ever running out of grace. Warren Wiersbe says, God is infinitely generous and gracious and will always give us better than we deserve. Jesus' death is enough, friends. It's enough for me. It's enough for you. God provides for us generously and as promised. Nothing can stand in the way of him delivering eternity to us if we're trusting in Christ. Fourth thing I want us to see. It's not too late or too early to believe. It's not too late or too early to believe. Now, here's the thing when I think about this. These hours of the day, I think, could represent different eras of life, right? So when we think of that, the 6 a.m. people are the birth roll Christians, These are those who were born in the church, were dedicated on the first opportunity, have never missed a Sunday, and they really, they honestly do not ever remember a time in their life when they weren't embracing Christ. 
Friends, those are not testimonies to lampoon. It's the blessing of God. It's the 6 a.m. crowd. The grace of God demonstrated from a very early age and then beginning to follow him. The 9 a.m. crowd, that's those that trusted Christ at VBS. We know that. It's in the original language. Come on, are you with me? 9 a.m., those who trusted Christ at elementary, elementary school age, young kids. The noon crowd, Falls Creek. Those that went to summer camp, middle school, high school student, college student who trusted in Christ, that's the noon crowd. The, the 3 p.m. crowd, that's the, the crowd that has come to Christ as their life has fallen apart as an adult. Either they're faced with the challenge of parenting and they, they don't know what to do, and so they, they come to church at that point trying to find some guidance and direction in life. They end up coming to Jesus at that point. That's a 3 a.m. crowd. It's the person with the, the, the medical diagnosis that drives them to their knees in their 30s or 40s. That's the that's the 3 p.m. crowd. Who's the 5 p.m. crowd? 5 p.m. crowd? Well, that's those who, in their twilight years, trust in Christ. That's those who, even on their, on their deathbed, the thief on the cross, that's the 5 p.m. crowd. Now, what this story lets us know is that the grace of God is able to deliver salvation to the person at the end of their life as well as to the person at the beginning of their life. Charles Spurgeon says of this, God in the greatness of his love calls into his service men from whom the exuberance of useful vigor has departed. He accepts the waning hours of their day. It's never too late If you're here today and you've not trusted in Christ, it's not too late. But here's the thing. We also need to remember, it's also never too early. See, Peter, he was a 6 a.m.er. There was no earlier follower of Jesus, right? I mean, he was right there at the beginning. And if if Peter had looked at this scenario and, and thought, man, I should have waited to follow Jesus until sometime later on, because then maybe my life might not have been so challenging. I might not have been persecuted. I might have made a little more money in the fishing business. It's possible that he could have been thinking that. But think of everything Peter got to experience because he trusted Jesus at 6 a.m. He got to walk on water. He got to feed the 5,000. He got to preach at Pentecost. He got to see the gospel go to the Gentile world for the first time. Think of all the things that Peter would have missed. Sometimes we look at this, this scale and we think, well, if, if trusting Jesus at the end is going to grant me salvation, then I'll just wait till then and I'll have my fun now. But think of all we'll miss if that happens. The God who created life invites us to trust him early and follow him now that eternal life could begin even today. It's not too late, never too late, we're too early to believe. Fifth thing, jealous hearts do not understand salvation or the God who gives it. I think Jesus told this story in part, and he illustrated it with the, the story of the 6 a.m. or frustrated by his wage to challenge 
the 6 and the 9 a.m. crowd. He says that to, to challenge those of us who have trusted Christ at an early age, who might look at someone down the road and go, it's just not fair. It's not fair that that person did all of those other things and that God saved him in the end. Jesus tells us this story to let us know that if that's our attitude, we don't understand salvation. It is by grace that the 6 a.m. comes to faith. It is by grace that the 5 p.m. comes to faith. It is by grace that the person who grew up in the church comes to faith. It is by grace that the person who is a serial killer and trusts Christ on the way to the electric chair trusts Christ. It is by grace in all of those spots. And if we don't understand that, we don't understand salvation. And here's the, more, the bigger tragedy. We also don't understand the God who sits behind it. It is the heart of the landowner that is on full display in the parable. And it's the heart of God that is evident inside of Scripture. A God who desires to be generous and gracious to us. That we would respond in faith. Romans chapter 2 says that the kindness of God is intended to lead us to repentance not to boastful bragging of the 6 a.m. to the 5 p.m., but of the entirety of all of us just going, Lord, thank you for the grace that you've given.